are starting a new series, which really had a kind of a pregame last week with Mark DeCosimaker. Thank you, Mark, uh, getting us into the book of Jonah. And we're going to be reading through Jonah chapter 1 today. And if you didn't bring a Bible, there's a blue Bible in front of you, page 774, Jonah chapter 1. I want to approach the story of Jonah much like I did the story of Ruth. Like Ruth, Jonah is four chapters. So let's think of this as a series. We're watching a series together, and I'll go back to the same illustration. You're lucky to have me watching the series with you. And I have control of the remote control, which is always critical when we're watching television together. So I can pause and stop and uh, point out things. I went on a trip last weekend with three other guys, and we wanted to watch football. And three guys watching football all want to have remote control. But fortunately for them, I ended up with it, and I could do my commentary for them, which they really enjoyed. So Jonah chapter 1. Jonah is so much more than a story about a man being swallowed by a big fish. It's really about a religious man who's swallowed by his own self-centeredness. It's the self-centeredness that exposes the worst tendencies inside God's assembly. You're supposed to see yourself in Jonah in many ways. This this tribalism, this pride, this narrow-mindedness that in its worst form frequently shows up inside of the assembly of, of God's people. And sadly, and most surprisingly, it's a story about a religious man who resisted getting swallowed by God's grace. You wouldn't think that, would you? But all the way to the end, he just doesn't want to be swallowed by God's grace. So let's stand together. We'll read the first chapter, Jonah chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. And call out against it, for the evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, and he paid the fare. Paid the fare. And he went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so the ship threatened to break up. The mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah Jonah had gone down, down into the inner part of the ship and laid down, and he was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, go, call out to your God. Perhaps the God, your God will give you a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and then the lot fell to Jonah. And they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is it that you have done? For for the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. 
Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. And lay not on us innocent blood for you. O Lord, have, o Lord, have, done, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. You may be seated, and let's take a moment to reflect on God's word. Jonah was a prophet to the northern kingdom. By the time Jonah came on the scene, Israel had split north and south, Israel to the north, Judah to the south, and he was a prophet to the northern kingdom. A prophet is someone who speaks on behalf of God. They're the mouthpiece of the Lord. And one of the things that's unusual about the book of Jonah, and there are many things, but one of the things is that when you read other prophets, he's, a, he's in a group of minor prophets, there are 12 of them, is that all those books of prophecies record what the prophet said. In Jonah, it records how the prophet behaved. Very interesting. The name Jonah means dove. In Hebrew. So in the Bible, dove is frequently used in a symbolic form. It means that the, the closing down of something old and the beginning of something new. It symbolically represents a, a new creation, maybe a, a, a new possibility, a new era, a, a new time of hope. Uh, a, a fresh wind of God's presence is coming upon people. And you might think of the two most obvious places. The, the dove in the Noah's Ark story. There's something new that's beginning. There's a fresh presence of God. There's a new creation. Or the Holy Spirit descending on Jesus at the baptism. Remember, remember it came in a form of a dove. Like there's, there's something new. Something old is closing down and something new is opening up. There's hope. There's, there's a, a sense of God's fresh presence here. And what we find out about Jonah is that his name doesn't match his behavior. Jonah's name doesn't match up with his behavior. He calls himself a follower of God. He refers himself as someone who fears God. He used to speak for God. So in verse 2, God called Jonah to arise and bring this fresh presence of God to the dark city of Nineveh. Jonah would be used to open up a, a new era. He would bring new possibilities that were not thought of for the people living in darkness. But what we find out is Jonah's name, what Jonah calls himself, doesn't match the way Jonah behaves. I wonder if that's familiar. He calls himself one thing, but then when people look at him, you go, hey, it doesn't match up. 
Your name doesn't match your behavior. Nineveh. Nineveh was a capital city in the powerful empire that was north of Israel, shared a border of Assyria. Very powerful empire, and the great city, the great capital city was Nineveh, huge in its, di- in its dimensions. It was powerful, and it was brutal, and everybody knew this, especially everybody who lived in Israel. They had already put pressure on Israel, and in order not to invade Israel, they exacted some money from Israel. Every person in Israel had to pay what was like a tax so they could live outside of the boundaries of Assyria because they knew what happened when Assyria attacked. They would attack a city. They would defeat a city. They would find its leaders. They would gather the whole city together, and in front of the city, they would skin alive the leaders. And other worse things that I wouldn't want to say from this spot. So there's a boiling hatred of Israelites against the Assyrians. They're brutal people. And they're taking part of me with them because they're exacting this heavy tax. And what's shocking to Jonah, what's shocking to every reader of this book is that this city, the people in this city, become the object of God's mercy. It's, it's like the last people on the planet that you think God would choose to show mercy to. And God calls Jonah, arise and go, verse 2, and it signals that there's some chance for those wicked people to repent, to avoid judgment. So now we have that as the background. Verse 3, arise and go. Well, did did Jonah arise and go? He did. He really did. Just in the opposite direction. He was supposed to arise and go 500 miles west to Nineveh, but he got on a boat and went 2,500 miles east to Spain, to Tarshish. And this was known in the, the Israelite mindset as the end of the world. I mean, when you got to Spain, there was a lot of water past Spain, and that was like the end of the world. So Jonah was fleeing from God. He was going to go to the end of the world to get away from what God had called him to do. And you're supposed to notice the storytelling here. He he rose to flee. And then what what does it say? He went down. He went down to Joppa. This is a port city. Then he's fleeing away from the presence of the Lord And then he went down into the boat. These are all part of the storytelling. I think Jonah is a true story, but it's also a story. The writer has has brought himself into it very carefully to show you what's happening with Jonah. He's fleeing away, and as he flees, he's always going down. So whenever you're fleeing away from the presence of the Lord, you're going what? You're going down, just like Jonah. Now, the question is, why is Jonah on the run? Well, this is just the first episode. And so in the first episode, you think, well, he's on the run because he doesn't want to get skinned alive. I mean, he's not going to be a popular figure showing up in Nineveh. He he knows what they do, so he might be afraid, but let's turn ahead, and there's a spoiler alert here, to the end of chapter 3 and the beginning of chapter 4, Because Jonah tells you why he didn't want to go to Nineveh. So let's just hear it from him. Verse 10. 
when God saw that the Ninevites turned from their evil way, God relented on the, of the disaster that he said he would do to them. So God was merciful. God was gracious. Chapter 4, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. He was angry. He was angry at God's grace. And he prayed to the Lord, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee. For I knew that you were gracious and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life. I'd rather die than live. Jonah wasn't afraid to face the pain. He was afraid, afraid to face grace. Isn't that amazing? Jonah, sadly, would rather die than see God's grace. The prophet whose name means dove, who was designed to bring hope, to bring a new beginning, he actually hates God's grace. Jonah's name doesn't match up with his behavior. Something's wrong. Something's broken in Jonah. And I would suggest that Jonah wanted to serve a God of his own making. A God who punished the bad people, like the Ninevites, and blessed the good people, like Jonah. The bad people deserve the punishment they get, and the good people, like me, of course, we get good things. That's the idea that I have for God. And Jonah had his own plans, he had his own ambitions, he had his own concepts about how God should operate in the world and how he should be a part of that. And he'd rather die than give up on his own vision. I wonder if that might be some of us. Isn't this amazing? He finds out what he was sure was going to happen. God was going to be gracious. And when he finds out God's gracious, he said, I'd rather hold on my own little narrow-mindedness than hold on to your grace. This is the man inside the church. God's will, we see in verse 2, and Jonah's will have a head-on collision. Jonah was a religious man whose vision of his life was being challenged right at its very core. So what does he do? Instead of obeying, he boards a boat and he's booking it to Tarshish. Jonah here thought he was running for life. Hey, I'm, I'm a, I'm, the, I don't want to do that. Life is over here. And when he got on that boat, I'm sure he thought, man, this is all working out. I went down to Joppa. I found a ship that was move, going to Tarshish. I want to run for life. And what he found out, he was running from life. Remember the story of the prodigal sons? There's a lot of connections between this story and the prodigal son. And some scholars think when Jesus was telling the story of the prodigal son, he was thinking of the story of Jonah. That the, the young boy, the prodigal son, is chapter 1 and 2, and the older boy is chapter 3 and 4. We'll find out if that's true. But do you remember the prodigal son? He wanted to take the gifts of his father, and he wanted to go to a far country. And what did he want to do? He wanted to find life. And thankfully, he came to his senses and said, I haven't found life. I found death here. 
I was running for life, and what I found out was life was back with my father. I should have stayed there, and thankfully he turns around, something Jonah doesn't do. Think, of, think about what Jonah was asked to be a part of. I know it would be frightening, but still, he was asked to be called, he was called to participate and enjoy in one of the greatest movements of God in human history. How many would like to be on the front row of watching that happen? I mean, it might cost you something, but you could be on the front row of watching God move like a wave right in front of you, and you would say, I was there. In fact, I wasn't even there, just there. I was a part of it. I was a key part of it. And Jonah decides, no, I have a different vision for my life. And he missed out. He missed out because he just couldn't let go of his little vision, his narrow-mindedness, his tribalism, his hatred for other people closed him in, like being on a little cot in the bottom of a boat. I grew up in a dog family. I don't know how many dog families there are here, but we grew up in sort of an, an animal family. We had dogs and cats and gerbils and parrots and all kinds of things. And uh, our plan was just to, you know, when one dog died, you go down to the humane shelter, you know, you get a mutt, right? Costs you $25 or whatever. And it's, you know, mixed breed. Whatever, whatever dog comes up to the front of the cage, you know, let's get that one, just like you've done. And one day when I was in seventh grade, we picked out Shane. Sorry for anybody named Shane here. Sorry, Shane. And he was a mix, and we thought it was a mix between a black lab and a rock. Because <laughs> he looked like a lab, but he was dumb as a rock. And we don't know how he came out between a black lab and a rock, but this dog was so dumb. And so we would have it in the house, and of course we'd have it outside, but every time you have it outside, you've got to put it on a leash, got to bring it out with a leash, because it was just crazy. And of course, you know, sometimes he gets off the leash, or you thought he was going to stand still for one second, and of course, dumb Shane, not ever going to stand still. And we lived on kind of a busy street. So we were mostly in the backyard, but Shane knew there was life around in the front yard. And as he ran around the front yard, you know, the volume of our yelling increased, the intensity. And so not, it didn't take too long before Shane escaped. And this is what he would do. Some of you have a dog like this. He got sort of near the road, and then he stopped. And then he looked back at you. And he looked like, you're a fool, right? Because we're all like, whoa, stop. And then he'd look at you, and then you knew what was about to happen. He was going across that road because life was across that road. And he'd run across the road, and we all run across the road and try to check, check him down. Well, one time, it was just one time too many. And you know how the story ends. Doggone. Dog, really, doggone. And we went to the pound the next day and got another smarter-looking dog. <laughs> Some of you have three-year-olds that are like this. You're like, I know my three-year-old. I've seen that look. <laughs> but that, that's Jonah. That's probably you, me. Oh, there's life over here. 
I mean, this leash of God's Word, it's keeping me away from life. And if I could just get away from what God's telling me here, and I could just go out and grab life, then I could have life. And what happens? You get run over. I'm just telling you, you go down, you get run over. And yet time and again, don't you feel your heart saying, life is somehow across that road. If I could just get across the road. And that was Jonah's thinking. Life couldn't be found in Nineveh. Just, I don't see how God could have life over there. Life is over in a different direction. Anyone here this morning on the run? Anyone here who really knows the Lord, maybe has spoken for the Lord, maybe has been used by the Lord, but really right now you're on the run. You just want to run away, get life in a different direction. Let me just say, you're going down. Tim Keller says in his book about Jonah, this quote. Whenever you're running away from God, you're going down and storms are sure to follow. And that's what happens. Verse 4. Look at it with me. And then out of nowhere, a great wind came upon the sea. Is that what your version says? Nope. Storms don't come out of nowhere. The Lord hurled. What a, I mean, what a picture. He sees tiny little Jonah trying to get away, and he just hurls. Who wants to be in front of what God is hurling? Hmm. The Lord hurls. There's a a storm attached to every act of disobedience. Not every storm in life is connected to a disobedience. But some of our storms are attached to disobedience. And you see in this story how costly it is. In verse 3, I loved, and that's why I stopped there in the reading, he paid the fare. Jonah paid the fare. What a fare. He had no idea how much it was going to cost him. But did you notice, and please notice if you didn't, it didn't just cost Jonah. Jonah's disobedience spread out. Your sin, your disobedience isn't in a silo. It's not in his little Ziploc bag. Well, I know it, but nobody else knows it. It's like hermetically sealed and it, it can't leak out. It leaks out. It leaks out. The storm ends up affecting everyone. I love how the writer puts it in verse 4. The ship threatened to break up. It's like the ship is turning around to the sailor saying, I'm going to break up right now. And what happens? The ship is, is almost breaking. The sailors are afraid. They throw over the cargo. All this is costing people, not just Jonah. Everyone's paying the fare that's near Jonah. When you're disobedient, people around you pay the fare. I'm not the first person to say this, but years ago when my mother got cancer, it felt like my whole family got cancer. Her, her sickness spilled over into all of our lives. 
And when you're, when you're disobedient to God's word, your sin spills over. You might be the only one responsible for your sin. You're not the only one affected by your sin. So Jonah, he's going down, and we see sort of the layered effect of his disobedience. First, while everyone on board is fighting the storm, sacrificing for the storm, and notice even these uh, people who are not God-fears, they're praying to whatever God. They're like, hey, we've done everything we can Whatever God you believe in, start praying because we're all going to die. And what's Jonah doing? It's so, it's so painful. The man of God, the man who's supposed to be the dove, the man who's supposed to bring hope, bring peace, bring some new beginning, he's asleep. Jonah's disobedience, he, he believed he knew better than God, somehow had become like a numbing agent. And he can't even feel the storm anymore. I mean, imagine the captain coming down and saying, how could you even sleep? I mean, we're all up and down, and somehow you've managed to sleep. It's the disobedience somehow just is, it feels like a numbing agent, and now I don't feel it anymore. I don't really know that I'm causing all this problem. The, the world around Jonah is swirling in chaos and this man of God, the one who's supposed to speak for God, was asleep. I don't know if you remember this, but immediately following the events of 9-11, all air traffic was grounded. Remember that? And for especially long time around Washington, D.C. Except for on 9-14. On 9-14, Washington, D.C. put in a phone call to North Carolina and said, we have clearance for one man to get on a plane and come to Washington, Dulles Air International Airport. It's all been cleared, one man on a plane. The whole world is fragile. The whole world is in chaos. The people who have all the power in Washington, D.C., they don't have the power to fix this. And so they need to call on some, one man, who would come and help in some way in a terms of crisis. You know who that man was? Billy Graham. We're, we're in crisis, and we don't know what to do, so we're going to turn just like the sailors and say, if you know God, would you call out on God before, on, on our behalf? That's what they're asking him to do. And what if they got the phone call, hey, you know, Billy's asleep. Maybe next week. But do you see that's happening every day with you and your life? There's opportunities all over the place. The world, don't you feel like it's fragile right now? More fragile than it was? And you're wondering what's going to happen? And everybody out there, they're wondering what's going to happen too. And we're the people who God wants to put on the front line to watch God work. But I'm afraid that we might be asleep. Because we're wrapped up in our own little version of our lives. I've got to have this much money and I've got to have this much career and this kind of education and this kind of retirement. I've, I've got all my little vision worked out and God's saying, I want to call you out to, from that to something so much bigger. And we're like, I just can't do it because life's across this road. 
Next, they cast lots and found out Jonah was the root cause. And, you know, when you read it, you kind of feel like they're just kind of standing there talking. <laughs> but I've imagined they're holding ropes, you know, and they're swinging around. <laughs> the wind is howling. I mean, they're all just trying to stay on the ship. Boxes are floating that they've thrown overboard. And they have this series of questions, verse 8. Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is it? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? Who are your people? Tell us about you. You're, you're, you're apparently the problem. Who are you? What are you doing? And these are great questions for everybody here. Who are you? Are you a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ? You're a disciple. You're a son or a daughter of the king. Who are, who are you? Now, whatever, however you would answer that question, what are you doing? Do, do, do what you call yourself, does your name match your behavior? That's what they're asking. I fear the Lord, all capitals, it always means the name of the Lord, Yahweh. It's a personal thing. It's not Elohim, a God out there. It's, no, I know this God. He's got a name, Yahweh, the God of heaven. And he made the sea. Now imagine what the sailors are thinking. What? You know the God who made the sea, and then their fears skyrocket as they hold on to the ropes of this boat. And the, the sailors had to be in utter dismay. Jonah, you say you fear the Lord, yet the only one who fear, uh, appears to be afraid is us. You say you fear the Lord, but you're not even praying to the Lord. You say you fear the Lord, the one who made the sea, but you chose to get on a boat to be on the sea. You see, Jonah, we're, we're not that smart, but we can tell your name doesn't match your behavior. It's somehow everyone but Jonah can see Jonah's hypocrisy. What about you? What about me? See, you thought the story was just about a man who got swallowed by a fish. It's about you and me. Jonah is the, the part of the assembly of God. It's not to people outside. It's not really about Nineveh. It's about you and me. Sinclair Ferguson, who wrote a wonderful commentary on Jonah, he says this, There was one question Jonah did not answer. What is your occupation? Jonah was no longer able to say, I am a prophet of the Lord. Why? His witness had been silenced. Jonah was no longer sure, listen, Jonah, Jonah was no longer sure whether he was a true servant of God or not. Because where there is, dis, there is no obedience, there is no assurance. Wow. When you become disobedient to God, you lose your assurance. I'm not saying you lose your salvation. Hear me say that. But you've, you felt it, have you not? You get in some space of disobedience and you think, am I really like a Christian? 
part of the fare that you pay, that I pay, in disobedience is a loss of assurance. That's a big fare. That's a big fare. Verse 11 through 17. Some Bible scholars would say this is the first crack in Jonah that you see him waking up in some way. Let's look at verse 12. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. What's what's the little crack happening in Jonah? He's just beginning to take his eyes off himself. Do you remember Ruth and Naomi? This is what's so great about doing these together. What broke Naomi's bitterness? She started noticing Ruth. Remember that? She'd been locked in this little tiny box of bitterness and everything was about herself. Woe is me. And just at some point she began to say, hey, there's somebody else in the room. And it just started with one person. And that's what Jonah, it just, hey, there's something else going on here. It's not just about me. And so in the middle of this time, he says, why don't you throw me over? Again, from Tim Keller, often the first step in coming to one's sense of spirituality is when you finally start thinking of somebody else other than yourself. Throw me in. Mark talked about this last week, about the comparisons between Jonah and Jesus. And there are some comparisons. There are profound differences. But in Matthew 11, Jesus stands up and says, something greater, someone greater than Jonah is here. And for sure, one of the things they wanted to see, Jesus wanted them to see, is that Jonah began to see, in order to save somebody else's life, I have to be thrown in. Jonah gets thrown in because of his own sin. Jesus gets thrown in because of my sin. But in order for me to live, someone's got to be thrown in. And the innocent man gets thrown in so the sinner can be saved. Don't you wonder what the sailors thought about right afterwards? I mean, they made some kind of sacrifice to the, to the Lord. There's a lot of scholarly debate about whether they became real Christians or not, or believers. I wonder if they thought, this God that Jonah serves, even the winds and waves obey him. Jesus gets thrown in, so we get saved. So just as we move towards the table, here's what I want you to just be thinking about. If you come forward, you're saying, I'm a disciple of Jesus. I'm a follower. I'm a Christian. Does your name match your behavior? Second, any place you're resisting or running from God. You just know it. I I know he wants me to And I just don't want to. Third, 
Are you asleep? Asleep to your own sin? Asleep to the effect of your sin on people around you? Asleep to God's plan to put you on the front row of some great thing, but you're asleep. You're asleep. If you find yourself like me thinking, I think I'm all three of these things. Welcome to the one who got thrown in for you. See, aren't you so glad I'm not going to say, if you find yourself in any of those categories, please don't come up front. Because what would happen every week? No one would ever come up front. But you're trusting, hey, somebody got thrown in for that hard heart. I still have. And I do want to change, but I, I want to feast on the grace of God and allow that to change my heart. So on the night Jesus was betrayed, he, he was going to get thrown in by giving his body and his blood. And he say, hey, I know you guys, you're going to want to run across the street. So every time you get together, you do this in remembrance of me, that, that I've been thrown in so that you could live. Let's pray. Lord, as we just take a few minutes to reflect and take of these common elements that I hope will make an uncommon difference in our hearts and minds, would you pull us close even in this moment to your heart and help us see ourselves correctly and help us to see you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.